0: Okay, we are going to read uh, First Peter, chapter 5, verse 1 to 7. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because, because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for many, but eager to serve. Not loading it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the, the sheep shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you close yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all Your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is the word of God.
1: Well, good morning, friends. Good to see you this morning. Um, I'll be just picking up where Chris left us off last week in our series on 1 Peter. And so I'll be just working through these seven verses. So if you have your Bibles open, we'll actually work through each one. Uh, But let's turn to God in prayer that uh, what we learn today might have a real impact on how our church looks. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who continues to speak to us and speaks clearly through your written word. We pray, Lord, that you might give us hearts that are soft, ears that are open, that we might hear you speak to us. And we pray, Lord, that the things we learn will go to our hands, they'll be put into practice, and that there'll be a real difference for the life of this church. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now I want to start today with a question. What makes a good leader? What makes a good leader? I mean this past week, I'm sure many of us have been surprised by what we've seen on on the news. What makes a good leader? This past week we witnessed Kevin Rudd coming back. Prime Minister, take two. Now who would have imagined that? I wonder if anyone, any one of us guessed that that would have happened. Now, whether you're happy with that move or not with the Labor Party, it certainly did make this past week very interesting in politics. I was listening to every, every interview, I was watching, I was reading, it was very fascinating. But what is it that makes a good Prime Minister? What is it that makes a good leader? Is it popularity? Is it the polls? Is it competence? Is it capability? Is it likability? Or is it personality? What is it that makes a good leader? What is it that makes a good prime minister? Well, I'm sure you guys will have your own opinions and your thoughts on that. But now I want you to think of a different type of leader. I want you to think about a church leader, an elder. I mean, that's our passage today. It speaks a lot about elders. What is it that makes a good elder, a church leader? Now, I'm sure from your experience and you going visiting other churches or being at other churches and being part of their life there, you would have experienced and seen that person is a good leader, that person is a good elder. So what is it? Well, in our passage today, God actually tells us what a leader of a church should look like, what a leader of a church should live like, and also the leaders that we should be trying to raise in our church. Now, I suspect some of us, as we approach this passage, 1 Peter 5, many of us are thinking, well, there aren't many elders here. Why are we talking about this? In our church there are, what, 13 elders, 12, 13 elders, I think. What has this got to do with me? Well, the thing is, we need to understand this, firstly because it's God's word to us, but you see, the life of the church, the life of any church, the health of the church, is largely dependent on its elders, just like in any company, the, a company does well depends on their leaders, their, their managers, their bosses, their CEOs. In any organisations, how it goes depends on their leader. And so this past week, we've witnessed how the Labour Party was. Now the health and shape of the Labour Party, we can see what's dependent on their leader. When there was this change of leadership and when their cabinet, many of them resigning, it shows us the shape and health of their party. And we can make an assessment on that. And so we really need to understand this so that our church will be shaped by what God wants. And so in God's eyes then, what is it that makes a good leader, a good church leader? What does a healthy church look like? Well, that's what we'll be looking at today. We'll be hearing from 1 Peter what a healthy church looks like, how we are to relate to one another. Early in 1 Peter, we've heard Peter talk about the husband and wife already. We've heard Peter talk about the master and slave. Now he focuses on the life of the church, how we are to relate to one another. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be working through this. Now Peter begins, in our passage, with an appeal. He has an appeal and then he has his command. His appeal and then the command. So firstly, he begins with an appeal. He appeals with his fellow elders. He calls himself an elder. And he writes to the other elders. Now, some of you may not know this, but the word elder, why we have this word, it comes from a Greek word which is presbyteros. It's a word which just means elder. And it's a word which we get the word presbyter from or Presbyterian. And that's why our denomination is called a Presbyterian church. It's because it's a church governed by eldership. So this is where the word comes from. And I guess our governance comes from passages like these. And so Peter here, he appeals as an elder, as a fellow elder, to these other elders he was writing to in these various churches. And he appeals to them as one who witnesses to the sufferings of Christ. That is, as an elder, he witnesses to what Jesus has done on the cross. And that's one of the roles of these elders. They are to point people to Jesus. And also he writes as one who waits in the glory that will be revealed when Christ returns. I want us to think about that a bit. He waits for the glory. He's one who anticipates and looks forward to the return of Christ, the day of glory. Now, I suspect for many of us Christians, we just get on with life day by day without thinking too much about the future. But the thing is, we should be. The the future that we have in store for us is a glorious one. And so in just this past week, we've heard this tragic heart-wrenching accident, this tragedy. And that's why we need to be hoping, as Peter was, for this glory that will be revealed one day, where there will be no more pain and suffering, or the heartache is done away with. And so Peter appeals to these elders and says to them, as a fellow elder, I'm like you. We are waiting for the return of Christ. And so if you look at me, verse 1, Peter says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one also who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So we've got Peter's appeal, appealing to his fellow elders, these fellow church leaders in the various areas he was writing to. Now comes his commands. He gives his commands. If you want to live like the people of God, if you want a taste of what heaven is like, if you want a taste of what the relationship in heaven will be like, You need to listen. And you need to listen to these commands. And so Peter now, he focuses firstly on the elders. Secondly, he focuses on those who are younger. And then lastly, he focuses on everyone in the church. So three categories. Elders, those who are younger, and then everyone. So let's have a look. Firstly, he speaks to the elders. Now I wonder if many of us have thought what the elders of our church do. We've got 12 elders. I think I'm right, 12 elders. What do our elders do? What is their role? What is their role supposed to be? Well, Peter tells us here. The role of an elder is to be a shepherd. A shepherd of God's sheep. One who acts as an overseer. So it's an office of eldership and the role, the task is to shepherd. The the word shepherd is where we get the idea of pastoring from. So to be shepherd and pastor. So what does that mean, to be a shepherd? Does this mean that our elders are to be like cowboys, chasing us around on horses with whips, putting us in line? Is that what a shepherd does? Well, you see, that's probably what drovers do in the outback. That's probably what shepherds in the Western nations do. But you see, in the East, shepherds had a different type of relationship with their sheep. Especially in the ancient times, shepherds had a very close, intimate, affectionate relationship with their sheep. So rather than, like drovers, driving their sheep from behind with whips, shepherds would lead their sheep, walk before them, and would call them by name, and the sheep would follow. They would protect their sheep. And we know the story of King David. He protected his sheep from bears and lions and and killed those bears and lions to protect his sheep. And so Peter's command here to elders, to church leaders, that we are to be shepherds, that you are to be shepherds. And shepherds of whose flock? Of our flock? Well, we read here it's actually of God's flock. God's flock, the people belongs to God. And so verse 2, we read, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Now Peter goes on to elaborate, what does this shepherding, pastoring looks like? And he gives us a series of three do's and don'ts. So if you have a look at it with me, a series of three do's and don'ts. The first one in verse 2, following on. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. And so elders are not to be elders because they must not because they are forced to, and that's why elders are given the opportunity to think and to pray about it. And not because of obligation, but because of a willingness of heart, a willingness to serve God in this way. Now, I've been involved in many, many meetings throughout my life as a student, um, as a Bible college student with meetings there, as an engineer, meetings there, Bible study groups, meetings there, meetings all over the place. And you you can often tell uh, the people in the meetings who don't actually want to be there. They are there just by obligation. They are there because they they must be there, but not out of a willingness to be there. Their mind's off somewhere else in Fiji or something. And so Peter's command here is for elders to be elders willingly, out of a willingness of the heart to serve God in this way. So that's the first do and don't. The second one, following on in verse 2, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Elders, really, this is a command for all Christians are not to be greedy for money. but the 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 sad thing is that there are elders and ministers not in our church, and who have taken advantage of their position for financial gain. I'll share you a story of a church I visited. I won't name the church, but I visited this church one time in Sydney and I found it really strange that they would take two lots of offerings. They would take an offering at the beginning, so a general offering for the work of the gospel at the church but then after the preacher preaches they'll take another offering and that offering is called a special offering and all that offering goes towards the minister direct to his pockets. Just makes me think Think of a, uh, uh, this verse here. Not be greedy, not greedy for money. I mean, being in a situation like that, you're vulnerable to being greedy, isn't it? And you just have to think about that. It's really strange. I mean, a preacher who gets paid from the second special offering is actually in addition to his stipend anyway, but a week where he preaches a good sermon, he's eating caviar and lobster that week. A week where he preaches a bad sermon, well, it's baked beans and toast. But you can see, ministers, elders, are not to be greedy for money. Instead, they are to be eager to serve. And this is what we see here. Now, the reality is that many who go into full-time gospel ministry are going not for the sake of money. They're going because they're eager to serve. Um, In my year of Bible college, a year of about 100 students, perhaps about 80% of them had to give up some good career to to make this change to be eager to serve in god to serve god in full-time gospel ministry they had to give up their career so that they can proclaim the wonderful news of Jesus to those who are dying and so in my year of college there were there was a doctor there were lawyers there were teachers there were engineers there were an actress and there are those art students as well who were probably not working but anyway they were there (laughs) but none of my friends entered into full time gospel ministry because they were greedy for money the reality is that many of those in my year would never end up being paid what they were in their career and so elders ministers are not to be greedy for money but doing it out of eagerness to serve God in this way now the third do and don't verse 3 now Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, elders, church leaders, we don't run churches like a company. where you don't lord it over others. Where I tell you to do something and you do it because I'm your boss. It doesn't work that way in a church. A church doesn't work like a company. It doesn't work like the military where I'm your commander, where the elders are your commander. Instead, elders are to be examples. They walk ahead as an example of Christian living. What Christian love looks like. What Christian sacrifice looks like. What Christian maturity looks like. What Christian love looks like. So as they walk ahead, the church follows along and models of our elders. And that's how Christian leadership works. It actually turns the way world leadership upside down. We don't lord it over others. It's actually upside down. And so in the in the corporate world there's a hierarchy. In the government there's a hierarchy. The higher up you go, the more honour you get. The more glory you get, the more pay you get. In in Christian leadership it actually works the other way. It's a lowarchy. The higher up you go, in fact it's the lower you go. The higher up you go, the more people you serve. So the one at the top is, in fact, the servant of all. And that's interesting how you know, our, our society, our, our country, in fact, our government, we call our ministers ministers. Minister, to minister means to serve. And so the prime minister is meant to be the servant of all. I wonder if they talk about their role in that way. I do remember John Howard mentioning that, that he would rather see himself as a servant of Australia than as a parent of Australia, which was how Pauline Hanson saw herself. She saw herself as the mother of Australia. And so what are the reasons for elders to serve in this way? To lead such a life? Well, Peter now tells us. Firstly, elders, ministers, church leaders, they are under-shepherds themselves. You see, they are cared themselves by the arch-shepherd, the chief-shepherd, And so elders here are under shepherds themselves, served by Christ, who's the chief shepherd, who they follow and who they try to imitate. But we also read here that the chief shepherd will return with a reward for those who serve God in this way, a a crown of glory, we read. Now, there's a crown of glory for all Christians. But Peter, here speaks specifically to elders. And so verse 4, when a chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so we're seeing what what Peter's getting at. He's made his appeal to the elders. He's given his first command to the elders. You have to oversee God's flock, shepherd them, love them, care for them, look out for them, willingly, eagerly, and as an example. Now he turns to those who are younger. You know, some of us are feeling a bit left out here. So he turns to those who are younger and most of us are younger than our elders, right? Most of us are younger than Barry, I'm sure. Not all of us, but those of us who are younger, so now he speaks to us. Now in our NRV, the word here is young men. But the word, in fact, in the Greek is actually just those who are younger, so young men and women. So Peter is teaching about church relationship. This is how the church is to relate to each other. You have the church, eldership, and you have the rest. Now, what's the command for those who are younger? Well, it's quite simple. It's just to submit. They are the elder, the rest submit. Submit willingly, though, joyfully, because they are to lead us in Christ-like leadership, servant leadership. And that's how the church relationship used to work. And so you can see the church doesn't work like an anarchy. It's also not a democracy. I'm not sure if you've thought about that. The church is not a democracy. Rather, is an orderly relationship where elders are the shepherds, pastors, those who tend the, to the sheep, and those who are younger willingly, joyfully submit. And so this is what we read in the, second, uh, the first bit of verse 5. Young men, or really it's those who are younger, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. But I think he is talking specifically to elders. Submit to elders. <laughs> And now, finally, one last command. So, we looked at the command to elders, the command to those who are younger, now to everyone else elders, those who are young, men, women, boys, girls. And now, Peter says no matter what you do in church, no matter what your role is, you might be an elder, youth group leader, Sunday school teacher, you might be those who uh, do the cleaning, the gardening. You might be um, just those who come along to church each week. No matter who you are, this is the command you must remember today. The command is, be humble. Put on humility. What does it mean, put on humility, to be humble? Well, Paul speaks of it in Philippians too. To be humble is to consider others more important than yourself. To see them as more important than you are to put their interest before yourself. And that is what it means to be humble. And so the command in verse 5, the second bit, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. Now this makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, those who are humble, we are attracted to them, whereas those who are boastful and proud... We are actually repelled by them. But you see, humility was not always something that was seen as a good thing. It was not always seen as a virtuous thing. You see, in the ancient world, do you know who the humble people were? The humble people, the ones who were were humble and in humility, well, they were the undignified people. They were the weak people, people. They were the lowly people. The inferiors, they were the ones who can't help themselves. You see, humility in the ancient world was the thing of slaves. It was the stuff of slaves. So it's strange here that Peter actually would command Christians everywhere to be humble. Now why did he do that? Why was there this turnaround? The world, in their worldview, was that to be humble was to be low and weak and like a slave. Why did Peter change it around to say, Christians, you are to be humble? This is an important virtue to have. Well, of course, this centers on their King, their Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, who is the Maker, the Master of all the world, he expected when he entered into this world to lord it over all the others. I tell you, do this, you do it because I'm your Creator, I'm your Master. But what did Jesus do instead? Well, look at this. Mark chapter 10. Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, this is the God of the universe entering into this world not to be, de- to be served as he deserves, but to serve and to even give his life as a ransom for many. And then in our first reading, Philippians 2, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, he is God from all eternity. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness. I mean, what could be more humiliating for God to become one of his creatures? And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, that's the greatest display of humility, the greatest demonstration of being humble. God becoming a man to die for creatures he created. Now, this is where we get the idea of servant leadership. Servant leadership. Now, if you think about that, servant leadership. It's a bit of a, a bit like an oxymoron, isn't it? You're a servant, but yet you're a leader. It's a bit like Microsoft Works. And an oxymoron. Or artificial intelligence. Or pretty ugly. Bit strange, isn't it? Oxymoron. Or airline food bit of an oxymoron. So servant leadership. you see that's a Christian thing and Jesus is the person that changed that around. He turns things in this world upside down. The higher up you go, in fact it's the lower you go. It's a hierarchy, not a hierarchy. Now this this is quite fascinating um, in some studies that were done. Now this, there's a book um, by Jim Collins. He's from Stanford University. He wrote this book, Good to Great. Now, in this book, he did this big research where he studied over 100 different corporations in America. And he wanted to see what was it about corporations that made them from good to great, what brought them to greatness. And what he discovered was this quite remarkable. He discovered that the greatest of all corporations, that is, those who outperformed the market three times for a period of at least 15 years, those companies he found 11 of them, what made the difference was their leader. Now, you expect leaders of big corporations to be proud. I know what's best. I know how to lead this company. I am the best. But what he discovered out of these hundreds, uh, over 100 different companies, the 11 that were seen as the great companies, what he discovered was the character of the CEO was that they were humble. They were humble leaders. Fascinating, isn't it? So this servant leadership is not only true, it not only reflects Jesus, it actually works. And so humility was changed around, around 2,000 years ago. It's actually a Christian thing. Humility is a Christian thing. We own it. And if you think about it, it's really only those who are humble who can be saved. Because it's the humble who recognizes before God, I'm not good enough. I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment and death. But I'm humbling myself before you so that you might save me. And so this is what we read in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, And so naturally, it makes sense, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so those are the commands today. To elders, to those who are younger, and everyone else. To elders, be shepherds. Pastors, love God's flock. Willingly, eagerly, and as examples. To those who are younger, to those who are not elders, submit willingly, joyfully. But to everyone, the whole church, Put on humility, like putting on a coat each morning. I'm putting on humility. This is how I will interact with my fellow believers. And so let's think about this. How how does this passage impact us today as we live each day as Christians, as we meet each week as God's people? What does it mean for us? Well, those three commands, let's explore them a bit more. So firstly, a word to elders and leaders, really can extend it to any of the ministry team leaders and growth group leaders and Sunday school leaders and youth group leaders, but primarily to our elders. Well, elders are to be shepherds, to be pastors, to love their sheep intimately, to be affectionate for God's sheep. And I really want to say we should thank God for how this church is going. We've got a lot to thank God for, don't we? And our elders, they serve humbly and faithfully. And we thank God for their work. But in the end, this passage speaks to elders. And so our elders will need to, I guess, consider our own lives. And I speak uh, to myself as well as the second minister. We need to consider what these words mean for me as an elder of God's people. I mean, we can read these words and we can be greatly encouraged that we are fulfilling our duty that I am caring for God's flock, that I'm pastoring them, that I'm loving them, that I'm caring for them. We can be encouraged. But I suspect we can also be challenged by these words. Perhaps I can do more. Perhaps I can be more like Jesus as he is my chief shepherd. Perhaps I can do more. And you see, if the church does this well, this is this is for any church really, if the church does this well, it actually has implications for not just the church life, but as elders are servant leaders, this impacts the family life, as fathers and mothers learn to be servant leaders. This actually impacts society as we go out in the workforce and we put on humility. We live as servant leaders. When we're bosses and managers, we're the servant leader. It impacts not just this church, but your family and then society. But then more than that, it impacts the next generation because the young ones amongst us, they will see what a leader looks like. Do our leaders lord it over everyone else? Or do our leaders humbly serve as the servant leader? So that's a word to elders. Now, the words to those who are younger, it's quite simply submit. Submit. Simple. But not easy to do, is it? Not easy to do. Now I remember when I was um, 21 years old, I was um, at my home church, a Baptist church. At 21, that was the youngest age in which you can become a board member, become um, part of the deacon's board. They don't have uh, different structure. they don't have elders, they have deacon's board. Um, And the deacons in a Baptist church, they work a bit like a combination of the elders and the board of management. So at 21, I got on this board, and I served for three terms on this board. And as a young maverick, I was quite proud. Look at me. Look what I can do. I mean, I'm not just smart. I'm not just good-looking, but I've got a girlfriend. You know, look at me. And often on the board, I would challenge these who are older than me, are you sure you really understand the Bible? Are you sure? Are you sure you really understand what that passage is saying? And so I saw in myself this pride, this pride that shouldn't be. And so I've learned to be humble, which I'm still learning. I've repented of my sin and I've even asked for forgiveness. I remember one time I've actually really hurt this one older lady on the board. And so I had to learn to be humble. And so those who are younger, submit. And a final word to all of us, well, be humble. Humble. If you think about it, if you think in the heart of hearts, how can you not be humble? The thing is, we are no better than anyone else. In fact, we are to consider others more important than ourselves. We are to consider their interests before ourselves, just like Jesus, who considered our interests before his own interests. Now this might again sound easy, but it's very hard because our natural inclination is to be proud. Is to be proud. Now consider this, I wonder if you ever thought this way. Every time I do something good in church, every time I serve in a particular way, every time I help someone, I really feel I should have been recognised. I really feel that someone should have praised me and thanked me for that. It's just unfair that all the things I do behind the scene don't get recognised. I wonder if you thought about it, thought that way and I wonder if you ever thought whether there was pride in that what about this I've been a Christian for decades decades six decades seven decades what right do these young punks have to suggest a way of doing ministry to me I've been alive longer than their parents what right what insight can they offer at all I wonder if you've thought about things in that way And I wonder if you've seen pride in that. What about this? You know, these older people, they're just so out of touch. We young people, we own the world now. We own it. These older people, they just have no wisdom to shed on us. They just don't know what we're going through, the pressures we're undergoing at this time. Have you thought that way? And have you seen the pride in that? What about this? I've been hurt so deeply, so much by someone at church and it's, it's just this bitter feeling in me but no way will I ever take initiative to try to resolve it. I'm not going to do that. It's not going to do that. I'm not going to be willing to offer forgiveness. I've been hurt too much. It's not up to me to resolve it. Have you thought that way? And I wonder if you've seen pride in that but what about this? I'm not going to help out in any of the ministry unless someone comes to me and asks me and goes on their knees and begs me. I'm not going to help out. I mean, I'm quite happy with what I'm doing already. I'm not going to put my hand up when holiday club, when when they need helpers. I'm not going to put my hand up until someone comes to me and begs me. And then maybe I'll consider. I wonder if you thought that way. And I wonder if you've seen pride in that. So what's the way for a Christian to live? Well, the antidote to all those things is humility, to be humble, to be clothed with humility. Because if I serve humbly, serve willingly, eagerly, it doesn't matter if people don't see what I do for church. It doesn't really matter what people see, what I do for God, in fact, because God sees it all. It doesn't matter if I don't get the praise of men. Because I'm after the praise of God. If I'm humble, then of course I want to be listening to those who are younger than me. They might have insights that I don't have. If I'm humble, of course I want to listen and draw on the wisdom of those before me. They are wise. If I'm humble, then even though I was hurt, I want to resolve it. Because I see that person more important than myself. If I'm humble, I don't need to be asked to be a servant of God. I don't need to be asked to serve, but I willingly put up my hand. Yes, I will help. I'll take time off work. I will help. So what does the church that God wants our one to look like? Well, it's here in 1 Peter. A group of humble people, elders serving, pastoring, shepherding, people submitting, but all of us clothe with humility towards one another. Let me pray.